name is Gabe Phillips, if you do not know me. And I know some of you look at me and you may be a lot, not, very, um, not very excited about seeing me up here. You're like, well, what's this? A little bit normal. What's this? A 65 kg plus minus skinny, awkward looking, interesting, interesting looking guy, white guy. Well, I want to tell you things, something very clear here. Table view 1030. I was and am still a big deal in Zimbabwe. So whatever little you think of me here, I'm thought of very highly there. Let me tell you case in point. We, I took a team with me uh, to go to Zimbabwe a few years ago and this, this grand homecoming experience for me going home to the place of, of, of my birth, the place of where I grew up for 15 years. I got there and I told the guys, guys, I'm a big deal here. You know, just be careful, I'm a big deal here. Almost, they, they didn't believe me. No, they looked at me jokingly. <laughs> they did what you did, laughed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Until we walked into my primary school and the first person, and I kid you not, who met us at the front door of the school hall was a teacher who looked at me, eyes went wide, and she said, Gabriel, you're home. <laughs> to which I said, oh yeah? Yep, I am. And uh, I led, she led us, the merry group, into the school hall where she showed us the honors board and in Boston gold saying, the year 2000, Gabriel Phillips, head boy of Grayson Park Primary School. I said, oh yeah, big deal. Then I, we meandered down the path down to the tennis courts and there was a guy, I kid you not again, sweeping the tennis court. He looked up and he went, Gabriel, you're home. Said, yeah, I am. And he led us to the tennis pavilion, showed us the honors board there that said, Grayson Park Primary School tennis champion, 1999 and 2000. Yes, you heard me right. Two consecutive years, tennis champion, Gabriel Phillips. Thank you for that applause. I really appreciate it. We, we moved on from there, and of course, I bypassed the swimming pool. Just, I, I just didn't want to heap it on the guys, you know, and maybe for some other reasons, a.k.a. I can't swim. But anyway, we moved past that, and uh, we got in the car, and we were driving down Borodale Road, and we were driving. What caught my eye, and I had to make notice, make mention of to the guys in the car, was there's a bus stop, a bus shelter, which had old advertising that had not been removed for the past 20 years on it. It was fraying at the edges. It had, got, it had been this image was slightly distorted by rain and the effects of weather. But it was very clear that that image was advertising a company called Pizza Inn and the special that they had going on in the year 1999. But the person advertising it was a young 11, 12-year-old red-headed boy named Gabe Phillips smiling back at us on the Borrowdale Road as I was the spokesperson for Pizza Inn for a number of years. Peppy the Pizza Boy. Yes, it's me. I want to tell you today, people, I'm a big deal in Zimbabwe. Oh, there's no place like home. There is no place like home. But that pales. That homecoming pales into, into significance. When I think about the, the, the almost everyday occurrence that I get to live here in Cape Town, when I arrive home, whether it's after a couple days away, one night away, even an extra long afternoon away, when I arrive home at 20 Larisera Road, as I pull into that driveway, as I open that front gate, I have two little redhead children, Olivia Grace, who's four, Benjamin Asher, who's two. And as I open that gate, no matter how terrible the day has been, no matter how badly the Springboks lost the day before, no matter whatever my emotions may be in that moment, I look up and those two little faces appear at the window. They exclaim with joy, come running, going, Dada! Ooh, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Now I say all this today to tell you that we are living in a time and in a world we as Christians, we are increasingly feeling ill at odds with this place called the world that we live in. It's feeling less and less like home. 
with every news feed we, we go through, with every Instagram page we scroll through, with every headline we read. It just feels like uh, my soul is not comfortable here in the here and now. And in this home away from home, it is very easy to become overwhelmed by pressure. It is very easy to become, on the other hand, seduced by pleasure, that we are almost conflicted with these emotions where our, our hearts are being dismayed by the brokenness of this world, and yet at the same time, we almost are almost led into the brokenness and being are complicit with the brokenness of this world in our own hearts. But it's to this, this moment, we are preaching this series in the here and now, right now, to remind every single heart here that this is not your home. If you are a Christ follower, this is not your home. And I want to preach to you today from the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll need a flick there in your Bibles. I'll give you some time to get there. It will be on the screen. But as we do that, I want to give you some context of, of, of where Peter is coming from. This, this writer who's writing the New Testament, this New Testament letter, this epistle to Jewish believers. Jewish believers in Christ Jesus who have left the, the comforts of home in Jerusalem. They're now in far-flung colonies of the Roman Empire. But they are in an area around AD 60 to AD 70, a year which is at the height of the Roman Empire power, which is led by a man named Nero, the Caesar Nero at that time. And this man Nero famously set fire to the city of Rome, and as it was burning and people were desperate for a scapegoat, he did what every true politician does. He washed his hands and said, I'm not the one. And said, I've got to find a scapegoat. He said, it's the Christians. It's the Christians. They're the ones. They're the ones who brought the, the depravity and brokenness to the city. And what followed on, on the back of Nero's proclamation was the, the biggest and most terrible state-sponsored wave of terrorism and persecution against Christ followers that had been seen up to that moment and probably has ever been seen up to this moment. Under Nero, Christians were persecuted immensely, crushed by the pressures of the power of Rome for their faith in Jesus. This is exemplified in history where we read that Nero sewed up Christians in skins of wild animals, stuck them up, struck them up on trees, and they were hassled by dogs as a form of torture. Nero would do this to Christians. He would dress them in shirts made stiff with wax, fix them to trees, and set them on fire in order to illuminate his garden parties. Nero would tie them to his chariot, have them dragged through the streets until they were dead, famously thrown to lions as a form of entertainment in the Colosseum, have them tied up in leather bags and thrown into water so that when the bag shrunk, they were squeezed to death. Christians were poor, disenfranchised, lost their status. They had no right to land. They lost everything for the sake of the gospel. These were people who epitomized what it meant to be crushed by pressures. But in the same breath, they were seduced by the pleasures of Rome as there was this pull in their hearts. If only we just give up our, our belief in Christ, if we only give up this idea that, that we're foreigners in a different land and we pick up the identity of Rome, we can maybe slip in and mingle with the crowd and, and enjoy the pleasures of Rome and no one would know. Crushed by pressures, seduced by pleasures. But into that context, the writer Peter writes and tells them, this is not your home. He does something so profound as we're going to read right now. He doesn't mention Nero. He doesn't go on a, on a rant about politicians and their overreach of power. He doesn't go and tell them that actually we need to have a, a groundswell and the conspiracy theorists, we've got to come and unite and take on Rome. Neither does he go and mention all the sins and illicit problems in Rome and denounce them. No, he does neither of these things. He does something profound and says, guys, your home is not here. It's somewhere else. 
Let's read it and make it clear in our hearts. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 9 says this. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and I add Melkos, Tableview, Danun, Milneton, Rondebosch, Cape Town. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Can you say great expectation? And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in your heavenly home for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the homecoming the salvation of your souls. I don't know if you noticed, Peter uses these words as in, this, in this great trans, uh, this ascending text that he writes heavenward. He uses these words, great expectation. He uses the words inheritance, heavenly home, joy ahead, awaiting glory and honor, inexpressible joy, great reward, our homecoming, the salvation of our souls. He is pulling their hearts heavenward. You see, the sociologist Karl Marx once famously denouncing Christians, said this, said religion is the opiate of the masses. Basically meaning that it's, like, it's almost embarrassing. The Christians avoid the here and now by, by having this drug that dumbs them to the present, this hope of escaping one day when. But what Peter is writing here is he's not using this futuristic thought as an opiate from their struggles, a drug dumbing down their struggles. No, he's using it as something rather to spur them on with in their struggles because there's a higher and truer reality that's at play. He uses this idea of this theological term called the parousia, which appears all the way through the New Testament. Paul, John, Peter, they all use this in their writings, the parousia, which basically means lift your eyes because Christ is coming back. In the Gospels, in the 2,000, two or so millennia ago, writing to these people saying, live every day with your eyes up, eyes not on the pressure. Eyes not on the pleasure, but eyes on Him, that the curtain is about to be torn asunder, that He's about to come back in a blaze of glory to take us home. Lift your eyes. Live every day with that expectation. And I want to tell you, He is coming to lead us home. So today, I want you, I know we're out of the practice of this, so maybe you need to loosen up already. Come on, people. You know He's coming, preach. You know He's coming. The preacher's ready to go. He's got an audience here. He's ready to go. Come on, people. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? And why don't you tell them, there's no place like home. <laughs> Say to the other neighbor, come on, we've, you've been holding it in for 18 months, people. 
Let's pray. Father, in, in this moment, in this joy of being together, I pray for the seriousness of eternity to settle on us. I pray, Spirit of the living God, would you come and blaze eternal things in our hearts. That every lesser pleasure, every lesser pressure would, would bow its knee to the eternal vision of Jesus. Would you lift our heads? Would you lift our eyes? Would you lift our hearts heavenwards? As we start to long, yearn for, delight in the fact that there's no place like home. And it's not here and now. It's coming. Do this by the power of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Three things that we need to understand from this text that Peter gives us about our heavenly home and taken primarily from verse four. Number one, our heavenly home does not devalue. Does not devalue. It is incorruptible. It does not perish. Why? Because it's based on God's character and His character does not change. You see, it's not subject to stock markets. Heaven is not subject to presidents and politicians. It's not subject even greater still to my behavior, your behavior, how I've performed, how you've performed. No, it's based on Him. You see, I grew up, as I mentioned, in Zimbabwe. And then in the high point of the 2000s, we saw the greatest economic collapse potentially that the world's ever seen. The, the, the quickness of the, the fall of the dollar was only ever rivaled by the 90s Quacha from Zambia. That used to be the, the, the punchline of our jokes until we realized we were the new punchline. Oh, no. But this was the thing. We saw it collapse all around us, so much so that people would get paid salaries in Zimbabwe. And what they would do, they will go, on the day the money hit their bank account, they'll go and withdraw all of it, put it in a wheelbarrow. Some of them would put it in a wheelbarrow. This is some of the visual images I've got still burning in my, my, my mind's eye. And they'll take all the money from their bank account and go to the shop straight there and then. And it was, it was, it was like Scrooge McDuck, you know, with my, piles of money everywhere. And people were just buying goods at the shops and take those home. Why? Because they knew that if they left it in the bank, the money that was in the bank would be less, worth less the very next day. So you've got to spend it now. It's devaluing like this. And that comes in the climate where our family, my dad, for 30 years, stewarding our money beautifully, stewarding our futures, investing in stocks and bonds and, and, and policies and, 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 sure, and, 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 and things in the future. And, and all of a sudden, 30 years of careful stewardship overnight was rendered naught. The, the money that was going to come, the retirement annuities that were going to come, Companies around the world washed their hands and said, We've never, we could not foresee this type of collapse. We're sorry, we're backing away. Left with nothing. You see, it's understanding this that we realize in a, that the economy of heaven is not the economy of earth. It is not based on man's moving and shaking. The economy of heaven stands undeterred. Un, it's, not, uh, not, it's not devaluing in any sense. It, it's holding still. It's holding st steady. Why? Because he is enthroned and none have dethroned him. This is the courage that we need to have in our souls. You see, and this is brought even more closer to home, maybe not just in the macro version, maybe more the micro, closer to your heart. You are feeling yourself you have defiled and devalued yourself. You've given yourself away. You have, you have, you've tripped up over sin and again and again. You feel that maybe you have disqualified yourself from that promise. I want to tell you the great news today is the Bible says clearly in 2 Timothy, says this, that even when we are faithless, even when we are so devalued that we are worthless, even when we are so diminished that we have nothing left inside of us, the Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 
It's called the divine impossibility. Now let me tell you, nothing is impossible with God. Except one thing. Controversy. The guy's on Twitter. Here is he alert, here is he alert, here he goes. Nothing is impossible with God except for one thing. It is impossible for God to deny himself. What he has spoken, what he has promised, what he has kept for you and I cannot be taken from his hand. It is called the immutability of God. God does not change like the, the tides. He does not change like the shadows. He is standing and he is steadfast and he never moves. Heaven does not devalue. Oh, there's no place like home. Secondly, heaven does not decay. It is undefiled. It does not spoil. Sin and misery have no place there. All suffering will cease. Better still, Satan's stronghold and death sting on mortal man and the here and now of creation will be loosened and defeated forever. What's more? As if it was a very Mark advert. Wait, there's more. The Bible tells us that in heaven we'll be given new bodies. Honestly, just you wait till you see my six pack. <laughs> Woo! It's coming, people. That's why I don't waste my time in the gym here. Waste. Eternity. At least that's what I tell my wife. But in that, I want to be honest and tell you that actually all the filters, all the Instagram self-obsession, the selfies, all the, your nose job, your wash job, board, board abs, or your guns, money, money, and salah, or whatever you want to call them, none of them are going with you. That old body will stay in the grave. Let me put it even more plainer. Here's some good news. Are you all ready for some encouragement this morning? You are getting older. You are getting weaker. You are getting more fragile. What's more, you are getting uglier. Here's the big truth. You are going to die. Now science and politicians and, and propaganda around the world have spent the last 18 months saying, we don't want to die. Do whatever you can to not die. But here's the truth. Everyone cannot escape it. No one can escape it. Death has a 100% success record and it has not failed yet. It's coming for you. It's coming for you and I. Death will find us. Are you encouraged? Are you not encouraged? The scriptures say this, our lives in light of eternity are but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. But the scripture does also tell us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, this is the good news that we will leave the vestiges of this mortality behind and be clothed in immortality with Him in a twinkling of eye. We'll be like Him. It is incredible. The new, the new vision of our hope, our home ahead of us says that in heaven, we'll see no decay. In heaven, we'll see no wrinkles. We'll see no spot. We'll see no blemishes. Oh, there is no place like home. Thirdly, it doesn't devalue, it doesn't decay. It also does not diminish. It is unfading. A theologian once wrote, heaven always retains its vigor and beauty. It remains immarsibly ever entertaining and pleasing the saints who possess it without the least weariness or distaste. I used to think that I would one day get bored in heaven. I grew up in a charismatic church in Zimbabwe that we went on. We knew how to, we knew how to milk the, the minutes out of a day. We knew how to, let's have a second sermon. 
let's sing that chorus one more time. It was a two, three hour service. We were like, we knew how to do services. And I thought, as a young boy, I thought, I can only sing Amazing Grace so many times. <laughs> Throw in a key change or two, I can, I can push through a couple more choruses, but that's about it. I thought, don't, please, I don't want heaven, please, if that's what it is. But that is such a limited cartoonish appeal of what heaven is. The biblical idea of heaven. Jesus' words himself says, in heaven, in my presence, Jesus says, there are pleasures at my right hand forevermore. There is joy upon joy. He will declare, enter into my joy. And there are moments in the here and now on earth that are glimpses of the joy ahead, where eternity breaks in for just a moment. You know, those moments, I remember the moment, the first time I came over and I drove through Chapman's Peak and I saw that horizon. And my breath was taken away. And for a second, something stirred inside of me. At the time, I, I heard the smoke that thunders, Victoria Falls, Mossy Atunia, as I, the pictures that I'd always seen my whole life that, yeah, that seems cool, the waterfall. Yeah, that's nice. As I saw it, as I heard it, as I felt it, I could not speak. The moment I stood at the front of a church and I looked at the back and the doors opened and a vision of white appeared as my wife, Fiona, started to walk down the aisle and my vision became blurred as ugly tears started to pour out. The moment the doctor in a delivery room looked up at me and said, it's a girl. And I said, no, it's my girl. It's my girl. And I became a dad for the first time. Those moments you're having a meal with friends and you're laughing so much that your belly is aching and you wish the night would go on forever. These are just mere glimpses, mere foretastes of glory divine. Eternity will be these moments upon these moments piled upon each other and they'll just go and go on forever and ever and exceeding abundant measure, they'll never end. Oh, there's no place like home. So I tell you today, if, if that's our home, if that is our home, if that is our vision of what's ahead, that this is not our home, we live for a different vision, what does it do to the here and now? Well, I'm glad you asked. Firstly, if this is not our home, we can be steadfastly secure. Something Peter Ram's home, his whole letter, if you go read it, he rams home again and again, who we are and whose we are. Who you are and whose we are. Who you are and whose we are. He says, you are not scum. You are not a Nero's playthings. You're not just a blip on Roman history. He says to us today through this ancient text, he says to you, you're not a weak man who's hiding pornography addictions. You're not just a weak man who's trying to keep things under control. You're not an anxiety-ridden woman who's just trying to hold your family together and make it through this day. You're not just one out of three million people in Cape Town, just a blip on the Cape Town radio. No, no, no. You are much more than that. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. And the scripture says in 1 Peter in the first verse says, God chose you. He chose you, and when did He do it? It says He chose us in time pretemporal. He chose us in eternity past, before your mom thought of you, before you, the, you were a twinkle in your dad's eye, before there was a night of alcohol and cheap birth control. I tell you, whatever happened, before that was even a thought in your parents' eyes, God chose you in eternity. You were not a mistake. You were not just a moment in this, in this journey. You are chosen by God. He chose you in eternity past, and He chose you for eternity future. You were made. He has put eternity in your heart. Your heart beats for somewhere else. It should put a, a relentless security in our hearts. Not only that, it also puts a security in our hearts, not in our identity only, but in the face of trials. You see, when we understand this in our home, man's opinions don't matter to us. 
The fear of man dies. I love, I love, I love the Apostle Paul. You, you just couldn't touch him. You just can't touch him. You know, he's, he's preaching the gospel fiercely. He doesn't care what people are saying. He's not reading the newspaper headlines about him anymore. He's living for the home that's ahead. He's just going saying, I, and everything else, I, I live for that. I live for that joy. And the, the, the officials come to him and say, listen, Paul, you shut up about preaching about Jesus or we are going to beat you and torture you. Paul looks at him and goes, oh, would you? Oh, please, would you do that? You know, because I would love to, I'd love to be counted worthy for suffering for the name of Christ. Oh, please, do it. They're like, fine, fine, fine. Won't do that. We'll imprison you. He goes, oh, would you? Oh, I've been meaning to have some quiet time to write some letters to the church that's been scattered. And you know, I really love a captive audience, so then I can convert your gods. Oh, would you? Fine, would you? We'll kill you. Oh, would you? To live as Christ, but to die as gain. You can't touch this kind of guy. Nothing, no news headline, no, no, no diagnosis from a doctor. Nothing holds fear for me because this is not my home. Steadfastly secure. It's the power of knowing the end of the story. Watching the 2019 Rugby World Cup final in this hall in real time was stressful. I had no nails left. I was in a ball in a fetal position at the back halfway through the game. We were, oh, just marching up and down, up and down until I realized... We won. Jason Colby, you beauty. <laughs> Later on that day, I got home. Oh, the highlights are on. Boom. I'm watching that game with incredible rest, security, and joy in my heart. <laughs> there is no anxiety. Why? I know the end. I win. Christ follows every trial, every temptation every pressure on your heart right now you can endure it with joy why because we know the end we know the end it doesn't lessen the reality of it but i tell you there's a greater reality says there's a home calling let me tell you secondly we can be outrageously generous we can be outrageously generous we can't take off anything with us your new car your new home the new toy whatever you think is wonderful and got the, the tension of your heart it's staying here no coffin has got a U-Haul at the back attached to it. You can't fit the boat in there. Body's staying behind. Toys are staying behind. It's all staying here. You see, uh, Jesus says it this way, encourages us. He says, don't store up treasures here. Don't do that. Store them up in heaven, your heavenly home, where moth and rust cannot get to them, where thieves can't break and steal, where there's no devaluing where there's no decay, where there's no diminishing. Store up your treasures there. Send it ahead. Invest in eternity. Open your hands in generosity. We don't need a, we don't need a hoard. We can be generous and trust God because He's promised us a home. I, I, I read, I saw a title of a book recently. I haven't read it, but the, one of the best-selling Christian books of all time is called Live Your Best Life Now. Never read it, so I don't know what's inside it, but I just know I tell you that title is not biblical. Better title for Christianity is this. Probably won't sell as well. Live your worst life now. Why? Because our best life's coming. We can be people. We can be maligned. We can be mistreated. People can think wrong of us for the sake of the gospel. We can be generous. We don't have to hoard. We don't have to, we're not missing out on anything. Why? Because actually God has got my future. 
can be outrageously generous. You see, Afghanistan Christians this week, I'm telling you, as they, the Taliban are coming, taking their daughters and burning their homes and killing them for their belief in Christ. Afghanistan Christians aren't running to their bookshelf with the Taliban coming going, where's that book about best life now? They're not reaching for that title. That doesn't hold you in the day of trouble. Not a vision of a greater today, a vision of greater tomorrow holds you. And I want to tell you that, that actually I, I listened to a conversation this very week where you found somebody in America phoned the Afghanistan Christians. He was talking to them and they were recounting a story to him. They're on live, t- real time. They're saying the Taliban regime are coming down our streets and their screams going up and they're coming for our family. We know that we cannot turn away. We know we cannot speak against Jesus. We know we cannot relent to what they're asking for us. So we're probably going to die. We're probably going to die. And they started to sing hymns amongst their tears. And he said, I'll stay on the line till the end. I'll stay on the line. And then the line went dead this very week in our world. And the, the wife of the man on the phone on this end said, what happened? What happened? And the guy dropped the phone, looked at her with tears, but a smile and said, they're home. They're home. They've been entered into glory. I want to tell you we can be thirdly and finally today, not just outrageously generous, steadfastly secure. We can be radically obedient. Radically obedient. You see, we're not losing out on any pleasures here. When we say, so a friend of mine once told me, you know, when I become a Christian, does that mean I have to give up on all the good things of life? That doesn't seem cool. The pleasures, the, the fun, the games, the, 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 the sinful way of living, it all feels good. I want to hold on to that. But I want to tell you, every time we say no for Jesus, yeah, the reward is great there. Every time we say yes for Jesus, yeah, the reward is great there. This is what we're living for. When I drive home at night and the allure of McDonald's, the allure of Burger King, the allure of KFC pulls me with their cheap instant meals are calling me, calling me. Buy me, buy me. Oh, I hear a superior voice that's been printed in my brain calling me from my home to my heart saying, you will not eat takeaways. I have cooked a meal and you will not be full. And as I say no to the lesser pleasures and I arrive home and open the door and smell that home-cooked meal and see my wife's face, I tell you, those things die a distant death in my heart. Likewise, we are just journeying through. The Bible says we are aliens and strangers in this world. The Bible tells us that we are people who live as foreigners in a land looking forward to a city whose architect and builder is God. It tells us that these are light and momentary troubles are storing up for us an eternal weight of glory. So we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. As we land, I tell the story that so captured my heart about a missionary couple who in the early 1900s had been for two decades in deepest, darkest Africa, proclaiming the gospel with little success. Now have have wrecked themselves financially to have got this far. They've got no money to, to show for their two decades away from home. They've got not much success in earthly standards. They preach the gospel. They've been maligned. They've been mistreated. People have rejected them. Some people come to faith, but the majority of their work has been a hard slog with little or no applause from man. They got on a ship to go home for a brief respite. And as they were going into the New York Harbor, saying hi to Lady Liberty and arriving at that shoreline, they realized that on the same ship as them, President Roosevelt was coming home from a two-week hunting vacation. And as they saw the shoreline come into sight closer and closer, they realized on the shoreline there was a marching band. There were banners saying, welcome home. There was photographers, there was newspaper writers. There were were crowds and throngs of people cheering 
Paul Roosevelt, who's coming home from his vacation. This couple looked in the distance, trying to peer through the crowd, and all he could see was an image of his mum and a stray dog next to her. And something in his heart said, this is not right. We've given everything for the gospel. And, and this guy does nothing. He gets an applause. Oh man, everyone welcomes him home. We get nothing. No one even knows us. Our names are just blips. There's nothing here. What is going on? This is a terrible way to come home. And as he was having this tirade and his emotions, he heard the voice of God whisper into his ear, but you're not home yet, son. You're not home yet. I want to tell you, there is a day coming where the welcome home of our Father will make every pressure and every pleasure that we have endured, that we've said no to, that we have said yes to the superior pleasure for, will make those things light and momentary. We'll see the joy, the weight of the glory that's waiting for us. Can we stand?